Profit margin, what a great message. What a great series that we've had in these last three weeks. Started off with Pastor Ken. Talked to us about Isaiah and his prophetic word revealed to us how God wants to narrow the margin between us and him, and we draw closer to God. Then last week we had Dr. Wayne, who shared with us on the prophetic ministry of Samuel, and how that word likewise applies to us. We remember what Pastor Wayne said, that God doesn't look on the outside, but he looks on the inside. All with the intent that it would draw us closer to God. My name is Pastor John Mendez. I'm along with the ministry team here and also pastor the, uh, or shepherd the Spanish ministry. It starts at 2 o'clock every Sunday. If you want to come and worship the Lord in the heavenly language, you can come at 2 o'clock, okay? Anyhow, this, this whole message is for us to be able to understand what God is speaking to us. Now, many times we hear God, but we really, we really don't listen to God. We, we don't understand what he's trying to tell us. We hear the words and the phrases and everything, but the challenge is that when we go back to our real lives, it's kind of hard to bring, bring that all together. And this is the whole intent of this series is to be able to not only hear God's word, but listen to God. Not only listen to God, but learn how to put that word into practice, that we just not be hearers of the word, but we doers, be doers of the word as well. And that's the big challenge that we have, is just simply comprehending what God wants from our lives. It kind of reminds me of this couple that they were having a lot of problems. I mean, they fight about anything and everything in their lives. I, I know it's kind of hard for you to imagine that here in cathedral, because we don't have those kind of couples that have problems, okay? So they were having all these problems. They'd fight about everything. Food's cold, who put the gas in the car, who left the light on. I mean, just anything. One day, the husband comes home, and he sits in his easy chair, and he's got the remote control. Hey, ladies, you ever notice how guys like to have the remote control all the time? And not only that, but they don't watch one channel at a time. They just keep flipping it. You guys know what I'm talking about? God rebuked that spirit of remote controlness, okay? Anyhow... He's sitting there, and he's watching TV, and, and then the wife comes in from work, and, and he's sitting there watching TV, and she goes up to him, she, she's fed up, and she tells him, get in the car. He looks up at her, and he says, you don't tell me what to do. Yes, I do. Get in the car. And they start arguing, and guess what? She wins, and she get, they get in the car, and she's driving, and as she's driving, she's, he's doing the typical husband thing. Look out for the truck. The car's coming up. You know, you know, he's just telling her how to drive and how not to drive. And they're sitting there, and they're arguing in the car. And they come to the parking spot, uh, parking, uh, um, um, parking space. And they, get, they, get, they get off the car, and they're walking down the sidewalk in this office building. And, and they're arguing still, okay? And, and um, as they come up to this door, the door reads, marriage counseling. And the husband looks at that, and he says, there's no way I'm going in there. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And they start yelling at each other in front of this door. Counselor comes out, opens the door, and he says, hey, is everything okay? Why don't you guys come in? We'll talk about it. So uh, they walk in. The husband kind of reluctantly walks in as well, you know, and they sit in front of the desk, and counselor behind his desk, and, and uh, counselor says, how can I help you? And no one says anything. How can I help you guys? Husband crosses his arms like some of the guys have their arms crossed right now. You know, crosses his arms, you know, like I'm not going to do anything here. And um, 
The wife looks around and she says, well, if he's not going to say anything, I'm going to say something. I'm going to start this out. And she starts ripping into him. He does this and he does that. And he's like this and, he's, and she's like tearing him apart, okay? Five minutes go by and she's still talking. Ten minutes go by and she's still ripping into him. But that time the husband is kind of nodding off and like, you know, falling asleep like... Been there, done that, heard this, you know, and he's just falling asleep. And, and every once in a while, the counselor wants to interrupt. And when he tries to interrupt, the woman just talks louder and faster. And now that I'm remembering, you know, and, and the counselor can't interrupt. Uh, 15 minutes go by, and she's still yapping. 20 minutes go by, and she's still talking. Finally, the counselor gets mad and hits the desk and startles the woman. Wakes up the guy, and he says, woman, will you please stop talking? You talk too much. You're giving me a headache, the counselor says. And the husband says, the same thing happens to me. Same thing happens to me. <laughs> and the counselor stands up behind the desk, looks at the husband and says, and you be quiet, listen up to me. And he goes around the desk, and they're both startled. They're like, whoa, what's happening? And, and the counselor grabs a woman by the arms and picks her up. They're all like, whoa, what's happening? And he gives her this big kiss. He sits her down. Husband and wife are looking at each other like, whoa, what just happened? And then the counselor looks over to the husband and says, you see, this is what this woman needs at least three times a week. (laughs) Husband says, all right, I'll bring her on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He just didn't get it, huh? <laughs> and that's what happens many times when you come to church. We see and hear, but we don't listen. We, we don't know how to process what God is speaking to us. That's the whole intent of this series is to take God's word, that there be revelation to your heart, to your life, so that you would be able to understand not only the word of God, but how it applies to our lives. Now, we're going to be talking about the book of Zechariah. Well, don't worry about it. We're not going to go verse by verse. But we're going to make an evaluation of of this vision. Uh, Zechariah had eight visions in one night. Can you imagine that? Don't worry about it. We're not going to talk about all eight visions. Can I hear an amen? Okay. Uh, But we are going to be talking about some of the visions that Zechariah saw. And and take a look at that word and see how we can apply it to, to our lives. Are you guys ready? These are the things that I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about being measured up, about being cleaned up, about being fired up, about being spirited up, and about being pumped up. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you guys really ready? You guys ready to get into this? Uh, this guy, this part said amen. Are you guys ready to get into it? Okay, I want you to raise your right hand. Okay. And when I count to three, this is what you're going to do. You're going to touch your left shoulder, and you're going to go like this, okay? Don't do it now. Wait till I say three, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Okay, you just put on your spiritual seatbelt, and you're not moving because God is going to speak to you. We're going to go into this spiritual hyperspeed. Are you guys ready? All right, let's talk about this. So Zechariah has this vision. The first vision that he has is a vision of an angel with a measuring line. And, and, and it's interesting because he has this exchange with this angel. 
he talks to him and says, hey, where are you going with that measuring line? And the angel replies, I'm going to measure Jerusalem. Can you imagine how big this measuring line was? How celestial it has its capacity? I mean, you're talking about measuring an entire city. The walls of the city, the insides, because it says I'll not only, not only measure this width and the length, but also the depth and the height of Jerusalem. An interesting thing that we can find here is that we as humans can talk to angels, and angels can talk to us. And, and we can talk in an understandable language. That's a good takeaway for you today. That you can see not only the messengers of God in your life, but you can also talk to them. So what is this whole thing about measuring? Now, we as humans, we measure in space, as far as uh, time, as far as size, and as far as weight. That's how we, like, that's how we measure. And really, measuring is not the terms of God. It's human terms. Because God is unmeasurable. Can I hear an amen? amen. I mean, he is so big, he is everywhere at any given time. I heard a little third grade Sunday school girl say this way, God is so big that he's everywhere, but so small that he fits in my heart. Says it all, huh? So so this is the greatness of our God. The book of Isaiah says that in the palm of his hand, he holds all of creation. And Job said, our God can weigh the wind. that's, That's the immeasurability of our God. His mathematics are not ours. However, he needs to talk to us on those terms that we understand, that we know. So in the book of Romans, we find that he has given us a measure of faith. Somebody say measure of faith. In the book of Ephesians, it says that we grow to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Wow. And again, in the book of Ephesians, it says that he has given us a measure of grace. A grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So today, God is bringing out his measuring line and measuring us because everyone has received a measure of faith, a measure of grace. Every one of us are challenged to grow to the full stature of the measure of Christ. And God's showing up and he's measuring us. Now, I know we don't like to talk about those terms because when we talk about measuring, boy, I tell you, it can be a little bit challenging, especially when you're older, you know, and you see somebody that you haven't seen for many years and you look at them and say, hey, man, you're looking good. That's, another, that's a nice way to say, you're still alive? <laughs> well, some of us have, who meet someone new and, and they ask you how old you are and we always take away a couple of years, a couple of decades in my case, Okay. Uh, But you can't hide reality with God. He knows the exact moment that we were born. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You know, you can probably be like this woman here looking at the weight scale and saying, there is no way I weigh that much. Have you ever had that experience, you know? You get on that weight scale and you're like, I reject, I refuse, I rebuke that number. (laughs) There's no way I weigh this much. And and some of us get mad of it and we stomp on it, you know, and well, we take it back. Hey, this thing's not working, you know, but, but getting on that weight scale gives us a reality check. Yeah. Remember when you were little and mom would, would measure you how you were growing? I don't know if you ever did this. You'd tiptoe just to be a couple inches taller like this young boy does, okay? Those are things that, that we try to complement, augment, who try to increase measurement. 
But when God comes, he comes to measure us up. And we can have all the spiritual jargon that we can have. We can talk positive and begin to measure our success in God. And God says, no. When I come to measure, your faith will be revealed such as it is. The way you've lived in grace will be revealed as it is. I come to measure your level of maturity in me. Yeah. Now, he's not coming to condemn. He's not coming to judge. He's coming to tell us, let's see how we can work to increase that faith. Somebody say amen. I, I want to help you to, to live in the grace that, you, that I have given you. I want you to grow to the maturity of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Where, where it gets complicated is when we begin to apply our measurables as to how God measures us. Yeah, and we think that faith is giving a guy a hamburger that's homeless. We, we think that being graceful is, is possibly letting somebody cut in line with us, okay? We think that maturity is not answering back in the middle of an argument. Now, those are all good measurables, but those are little things that God has given us, allowed us to understand of how we grow, how we are maturing in Christ. But even those things, they're very, they're very small in comparison to how God wants us to grow. This is what Einstein said. He said, the things that can be counted really don't count. And the things that can't be counted, those are the things that really count. Does that make sense? And God is calling to you today. This is the word of God. He is saying, let me measure your faith. I'm about to take you to a level where you will see my hand. Will you see my power? Will you see my presence in your life? And your faith is about to grow. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. God's about to enter you in a phase in your life, in a, in a season in your life, where you're going to mature to the, to, the, to, the, to the level that you will become a giant of faith living in the grace of Christ. Come on, somebody give the Lord a clap offering today. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Cleaned up. This is the second uh, vision that, he, that Zechariah has. And this is the second vision that he has. It's an interesting scenario that, that he unfolds in this vision. He sees Joshua, the priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. I know this is the first angel of the Lord that you've seen with glasses, but don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> he wanted to take his glasses off, but I was afraid that he was not going to find, find the place he needed to stand. I, I, got him, I got the angel of the Lord laughing. Look at him. Okay, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament always symbolizes Jesus Christ before he became human. So Joshua is before the angel of the Lord interceding for the people of Jerusalem, representing the people of Israel. He's sitting there and he's, he's drawing closer to God. He's worshiping God. He's interceding. He's praying. And, and, and Zechariah reveals a spiritual warfare that is happening. Back then, that's, that same spiritual warfare happens today. Zechariah says that Satan was at his right-hand side, Joshua's right-hand side, accusing him, resisting him. 
being an obstacle to him. The word for, for, uh, for Satan in, in, in Hebrew is, is Satan. And, and it literally means to, to be an adversary. As a matter of fact, the word resist is the same word in the Hebrew that you find later on in that same verse saying to simply, to imply resist, attack, accuse. See, this is what Satan does. This is a reality of spiritual warfare. And I know a lot of folks who don't want to talk about this because they don't want to, they, they, they think that it's, it's shallow, that, that it's not reality that there is a Satan. Let me tell you, if there's a God, there's a Satan, and if there's a Satan, there's definitely a God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. But something powerful happens because you see, Peter also says the devil is our adversary. He's not your buddy. He's not going to negotiate with you. He's not going to help you. He is your enemy. Can someone say amen to that? You need to accept that reality. So here is Satan trying to resist Joshua, and then he reveals something about the spiritual warfare as well. All of a sudden, Zechariah hears the Lord saying, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. God takes over our battle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord takes over our battle to the degree that he rebukes Satan himself. And this is what some folks need to hear today. God's in charge of your battle. It's not your battle, but it's the battle of the Lord's. Hallelujah. See, this is what Satan does. I heard someone say it this way. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows my sin, but he calls me by my name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil will always lie about God and lie about his relationship with you. And he'll always tell you the truth about your sin. But you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to fight. You don't need to even resist him. As a matter of fact, God tells you today, like 2 Chronicles says, the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. Hallelujah. Someone today needs to confess that. They need to say, the battle's not mine. Somebody going to say that today? Say, the battle is not mine. You, you know, as a matter of fact, if the devil has walked in today, if Satan is sitting right next to you, to you and some of you are going, yeah, he's right here, okay? <laughs> Don't call your husband, your wife, Satan, okay? All right? But if the enemy is here, you need to tell him, hey, so you know what, devil? The battle is not mine. Come on, somebody want to say it? The battle is not mine. Now raise your hand and say, the battle is the Lord's. Come on, say it. The battle belongs to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the scene continues to unfold. And Zechariah sees Joshua, that he's dressed in filthy clothes. Here's the priest, the man of God, standing before God. He's got sin all over him. But God is always in control. God will always work and operate in our favor. And so the Lord speaks to another angel and he says, take off his filthy clothes. Take off his filthy clothes and give him new clothing. And this is what Jesus has done in our life. He has taken away our sin and he has given us a garment of praise, a garment of victory. It reminds me of the story of Martin Luther, great theologian, reformer of the church. The story says that one day he was sitting there seeking the Lord and, and Satan came up to him. And Satan had this scroll 
big, fat, huge scroll. And he gives it to Martin Luther. Martin Luther says, what's this? Open it up, says Satan. Martin Luther opens it up. And it has a date, a time, a place, and an action. He begins to read it. Finds out that Satan has written down all the sins that he has committed. A certain day, a certain time, and a certain place. He starts reading this long list. Can you imagine if Satan came to you with a, the scroll? Well, with some, he'd come with a 10 terabyte flash drive. <laughs> and he'd bring out all the sins that we have committed. So Martin Luther is sitting there, and he's reading it. And then after a while, you know, Satan starts laughing at him. You see, you theologian, you man of God, you're a sinner. You've done this, you've done that. And then before you know it, Martin Luther is smiling. He's actually laughing. And he begins to tear up the scroll and throwing it into the, the, to, to the fireplace. And Satan says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Isn't that the truth? You committed all those sins? And Martin Luther said, yes. But every one of them is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. This is the message for you today. You who feel unworthy, you who feel like you can't come to the presence of God, like you can't serve God, God is saying Satan is a liar. I said Satan is a liar. Somebody's got to hear it. Satan is a liar. He may know my sin, but he needs to know that I'm washing the blood of the Lamb. Somebody give it up for Jesus today. Hallelujah. The other vision that he has is a, it's an interesting vision that applies to our life as well. You see, the people of Israel, of Jerusalem, had come back to Jerusalem after 70 years of being slaves in Babylon. Their whole city was completely in, in, in ruins. It had been destroyed. Their houses were destroyed. Their businesses were destroyed. I mean, it was, it was just terrible. No one wanted to go to, to Jerusalem. It was like the slum of slums. And all of a sudden, God begins to speak. To Jerusalem. And listen to the word that it says. And it says like this. And he said to him, run and tell the young man. I kind of put my place in that right there where it says young man. Somebody say amen, please, all right? <laughs> Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Can you say without walls with me? Because of the great multitude of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Wow. Wow. But keep in mind that this is a word from a prophet, the youngest of all the prophets, to a people who had come back after a generation and a half of being slaves. They'd been taken away to Babylon, and then they'd been set free, but nothing in their hands. They had nothing. They had no future, had no possibility, no job, nothing that could take place. And they get to Jerusalem, and then God raises up this young man to say, don't worry about it, Jerusalem. I'm about to bless you. I'm about to bless you so much, to bless you so much that your people are going to be multiplied you know, I think Hebrews and Latinos are the same. They, we just multiply like crazy, okay? <laughs> so then, 
so that I'm going to multiply the people. That means prosperity. And you're going to be, all kinds of animals are going to be there because that means prosperity. The, the, the animals are, are, are all, the, all the cattle and flocks they're going to be having because God is about to prosper Jerusalem. He's about to break, listen to this, he's about to break the cycle of loss. The cycle of slavery. He's about to break the cycle that has kept the people down. God is about to say, you know what? I'm going to bless you so much that your walls need to be taken away. And I declare that upon your life, that prophetic word in your life, that God is about to bless you so much that your walls are not going to be enough. God's going to make you a city without walls. Come on, somebody going to receive that today? Hallelujah. Some of you are going to be blessed so much, you're going to say, I need another pocket. Some of you ladies are going to say, I need a bigger, a bigger purse. Some of you are going to say, I need another bank, banking account. I need to make the garage bigger. Hello? God is saying, I'm about to bless you. And I will bless you so much that, that you need to understand that you need to take your measurables off of my measurables. And not limit yourself. You say, God, I want that new car. And God says, that's it? God, I want that house. That's all you want? We got to think as God thinks towards us. And he's going to say, man, San Jose, too little for us, man. California is too little for us. Is someone listening to me today? God is about to knock down the walls that we have set as parameters to God. And he says, I'm going to bless you so much that I'm going to put a wall of fire around you. Wow. This is fire fighting fire. Because Satan will come with his hell and with his fire. But the fire of God, no one can penetrate. Hallelujah! Oh, hallelujah! When, when God decides to be a fire, a wall of fire around your life, no one can pick. There's not a devil. There's not a demon. There's not an enemy that can penetrate that wall of fire. It protects us from the elements on the outside of us, on the things that are not supposed to be in our lives. But it not only protects us from the outside, it protects what's inside as well. Oh, hallelujah. I'm here to tell you, your marriage belongs to God. Your kids belong to God. Everything that you have, I'm talking about every plate, every spoon, everything that you have belongs to God. And God is rising up in you, and he's telling you, there is nothing, there is no one that's going to take away the blessings that I've given to you. Hallelujah. Oh, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Man. How it's, man, I almost feel like calling the piano player up already. <laughs> this is what God is speaking to you today. That's the word of God to you today. To narrow that margin. You are important to God. That he would not only say, I will be a wall of fire around you. But then he says, you know what? I'm going to be, my glory is going to be right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. And the word glory means this. Okay. Glory means honor, glorious, abundance, riches, splendor, dignity, reputation. All these blessings come to you when God decides to be your glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got news for you today. 
On this day, God has said, I will be your glory. And when his glory comes in, all hatred leaves. All animosity leaves. All negativity leaves. And all of a sudden, your houses will be filled with the joy of the Lord. We'll be filled with the presence of God. Hallelujah. People will look at you and they'll say, what's going on with him? What happened to her? Why is she laughing so hard? Why is he continuing to smile? And you look inside and you'll say, it's the glory of God that has risen up in, uh, uh, in my life. Hallelujah. Come on, praise him. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. Tell your neighbor he's just going to get a little bit more fuel. Spirit upped. Now I know that grammatically that's not correct. Spirit upped. But when you talk about things in the spirit, boy, I tell you, everything goes. Because God knows what to do in our lives. Spirit upped. The other vision that he has is a powerful vision. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 and it reads like this. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord. And I always have a hard time with that word in, in English. Uh, so I'm going to say it in Spanish. This is the word of the Lord that came to Zerubbabel. Kind of sounds better in Spanish, huh? Zerubbabel. <laughs> Zerubbabel was the governor trying to rebuild Jerusalem. He was an intelligent man. He had been very successful as a governor. He was not only intelligent, but he was an economist. He knew how to build infrastructure. But he was overwhelmed with the ruins of Jerusalem. He was overwhelmed and and, and weighed heavy on him the fact that the citizens of Jerusalem had no faith. They had no vision. They really didn't want to work. There was nothing but negativity, and it seemed like all doors had closed to Zerubbabel. It's interesting how Zechariah is used not only to speak to Joshua, who symbolizes the church, who symbolizes the spiritual aspect of Jerusalem, but he also speaks to Zerubbabel, the governor. Because God is not only, he's not only concerned, he's not only interested in working in the church, he's also interested in working in the government. He has a message for the government as well. I believe that that God wants to tell us today, it doesn't matter who sits in the White House because Jesus is still on the throne and his name is Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Let's go back to that scripture in Zechariah. And he says in Zechariah, he says, listen, you need to listen to this, Zechariah. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is speaking to some people today as he spoke to Zerubbabel. Telling him, you know what? Telling us. It's not about your intelligence or the lack thereof. I don't know why I said that. You can erase that, okay? It's not about your strength. It's not about your abilities of what you can do or what you can't do. It's not about that at all. Because there's people here that you've worked hard. There's people here that you've tried hard to fix your marriage, to fix your your family. You've really made a great effort. And you know what? God is not telling you that that's wrong. he's, He's thankful that you are trying. But God is saying, wait a minute. What you need is my spirit. 
You need the power of my spirit. Because all of a sudden, when the spirit gets involved, these kind of scriptures begin to go into play in our lives. Look what Isaiah says. Isaiah says this way, instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy double Ah, somebody say double with me. You will enjoy double share of honor. In other words, if those kids have not respected you as mom and dad, if that mother-in-law has not respected you as his daughter-in-law, if that boss has not respected you as an employee, all of a sudden the Spirit of God gets into action and God is going to restore double honor in your lives. Not only that... It says, you will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise him. This is different. This is not just effort. This is when you come into walking in the spirit. It's where you go into your life and you walk with the spirit. It's where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes into action in your life. Things begin to change. You can have that 13-year-old daughter, teenager, who just has, has all kinds of attitude. Or that 15-year-old son who has even a worse attitude. And you tell him, mijo, I love you. And he goes, yeah, all right. You go and hug your daughter, and they're like, leave me alone. Don't touch me. You know what I'm talking about, right? You tell your husband, I, I, I love you, son. And, and he looks at you and says, yeah, right. Or you tell, your, you tell your wife, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. And you wives are like, yeah, what does he want? <laughs> Those are good efforts. But when they're anointed with the Spirit, oh, hallelujah. Some of you got it. When it's anointed by the Holy Spirit, you see, some of you are working really hard. You're trying to save up, and it seems like you can't get ahead. You, you've really made an effort at work. You work extra hours. You come in early. You stay late. And it seems like they don't appreciate you. There are things happening in your life that it seems like it's not going right. Well, I, I got news for you today. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is about to come into your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Were those same words that you tell that, 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 that rebellious teenage daughter, I love you, are not just I love you, but now they're anointed with the Holy Spirit. And when they're anointed with the Holy Spirit, it'll not only touch the heart, it'll also penetrate the mind. And all of a sudden, something spiritual happens because now the Holy Spirit is involved. Hallelujah. I'm talking about you folks who are trying to save up or trying to do something, and all of a sudden you, you do it by the Spirit, and that tithe all of a sudden gets multiplied. That offering all of a sudden comes back tenfold. Is someone listening to what I'm trying to tell you? And all of a sudden you, you realize that at the end of the month you have more. All of a sudden at the end of the month you say, what are we going to do with this? Because the blessing of God is coming upon your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, when you get into the spirit, you go into this spiritual hyperspeed, like, like this video, watch it. <laughs> Listen to me, I'm giving you a fair warning right now. That once the Holy Spirit gets involved, 
Some of you are going to make that face like Woody. God's going to send you into the spiritual hyperspeed that the enemy's not going to be able to catch up to you. Oh, hallelujah. All of a sudden, your life is going to change and your impossibilities are going to become possibilities. Your failures are going to be your victories. Your complications will become workable. Your infeasibilities will become feasible. And obstacles are simply steps towards your greatness. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Uh, I, I just feel like doing this right now. You're under my feet, Satan. Hallelujah. You're defeated today. If you believe it, give the Lord a big clap offering. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm doing okay on time, Pastor Ken, all right? All right. Don't you guys appreciate this guy? Isn't he amazing? So now we go to the last area. It's talked about pumped up. Somebody say pumped up. And we're not talking about you being at the gym, getting all pumped up. We're talking about spiritually getting pumped up. And Zechariah brings to a closure this whole division. And he shares this, this incredible message to the people of God. It's really not a vision, but it's a message that God brings to the people of Israel. Look what it says. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Wow. That's an interesting phrase. I first read it on September 27th, 1976. It was the second time I was reading the whole Bible, and I got to that book, I got to the book of Zechariah, and I got to that phrase, and I was like, man, what does that mean? You prisoners of hope, even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Amen? But you've got to fall under that category of prisoner of hope. This is not a prisoner who has hope. This is not a prisoner of other things, but it's a prisoner who's been captivated by hope. Christopher Reeve said something extremely powerful, and you know his story. He said, he said it this way, once you choose hope, anything is possible. Hallelujah. Anything is possible. Brother Romel, I'm going to ask you, Give me a, a Kleenex or other, okay? It's, I don't know if it's getting hot in here or if it's just a fire of the Holy Spirit. One of the two. All right. All right. Thank you, brother. All right. So then, this prisoner of hope concept is, man, it's just powerful. See, this is about getting pumped up. Pumped up in the situation and circumstance that I'm in. Because the circumstance does not define me. What defines me is the fact that I hope God, hope, my hope is in God. I, be, I still believe that my God can do all things. You see, some of you are looking at your surroundings. You're saying, things haven't changed. He hasn't changed. She hasn't changed. Nothing has changed in my life. And God is taking you, he's shaking you up. He says, oh, shut up. Listen to me. Listen to me. You may be in a cage, but keep in mind that canary that's in that cage. He still sings. Because the cage does not define the canary. 
The fact that he's a canary defines, and that's why he's still saying this. And God is speaking to you today and saying, your situation doesn't define you. You're still a child of God, a forgiven sinner, one who has victory in their life. And this is why my hope that has captivated me still tells me I will praise him. I will lift his name up. I will believe in God. I will serve Jesus because my hope is still alive. God can do all things. I said God can do all things. I'll remind you God can do all things. About six or seven years ago, I I was in Singapore ministry. And I made an altar call, and um, a bunch of folks came up. And and this couple in particular came up, and she looked kind of big. She came up, and they were really sad, and they were were crying. And and the husband tells me, Pastor, my wife has a tumor. It's growing daily. It's, It's overtaking her entire body. They've given her six weeks to live. Will you please pray that God will heal her? You don't know how my heart was shattered. Young couple, under the 30, under 30. And I went to go lay hands on her, believing that God could heal her, and God told me, don't pray for a healing. Instead, tell her this. I'm about to turn your curse into a blessing. And so I told him that, and they looked a little bewildered like you are looking at me right now, like, what does that mean? And I told him, you got to just trust God. God is going to take this curse of cancer and turn it into a blessing for your life. Hallelujah. So they accepted it. All three of us confessed it. I came back to the U.S. and Seven weeks later, he sends me an email. Pastor, my wife is still alive after the six weeks. The cancer keeps growing. They don't know why she's still alive, but she's still alive. Then about another four or five weeks later, I get another email. Pastor, you're not going to believe this. I took my wife to the hospital again. The doctor checked her out. And the tumor and the cancer is gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But pastor, you're not going to believe this. In place of the tumor, she's pregnant. The curse into a blessing. Are you following me? The curse into a blessing. I got all excited with them and so on, you know. How far along is she? Well, they say she's five months along in her pregnancy. And I said, I'm going to pray with you. But listen to me. This is where hope captivated faith. Hope captivated their hearts. Because they trusted God in what he has said to them. Are you trusting God in what he's told you? I mean, they were captivated by the, by the reality that God had done a miracle in her life and the cancer was gone. But now in her was a baby. And they had to wait another four months. Every single day, they woke up captivated by hope. There's a baby there. She's going to have a baby. Four months later, they wrote to me and they said, Pastor, we have a baby girl. 
And we, and listen to this. And we have named her Hope. <laughs> now give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. God is telling you today, you got to shake off that doubt. You got to shake off that fear, man. You just need to get rid of it. And you need to get, grab a hold of hope and say, hope, let me be a prisoner of you. That I will be, that I will be faithful to, my, to the promise of God in my life. I will not be shaken. I will not have doubt. Instead, even though my circumstance is not changing, I still believe my God can do all things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you stand with me today? Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray the spirit of healing flow out to this building right now. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody need to raise your hand and say, here I am, Lord. I'm hoping in you. I'm believing in you. I'm trusting in you that you will touch me right now. I speak to that person right now who has had a kidney ailment. God is about to do your miracle. I'm speaking to you who the husband has not come home for a couple of days. Get ready. Get ready because God is about to do a miracle in your marriage. I'm speaking to you that they gave you that the pink slip that your job is, is all done and you don't know what you're going to do. God is about to open a door in your life. God, I said God is about to open a door in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, I feel a, a move of the Spirit here today. Uh, God is speaking to that wife saying, I will give you the strength to, to forgive. And God's speaking to that husband saying, you got to trust me, son. I believe in you as a good husband and as, as a good father. My hope is going to captivate you right now. Hallelujah. 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 So flow, Holy Spirit, right now. We want to go into that spiritual hyperspeed. Oh, Satan, get out of the way. Or we're going to run you over. Hallelujah. Because it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering today. Hallelujah. 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 Before you leave, I want to tell you that pastoral staff will be here to pray with you agree with you that God is going to work in your behalf hallelujah man um, I've got eight more minutes okay I need to walk down this aisle I'll walk down that aisle in a minute and I just pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the lives of people uh, bondages are broken man Oh, I said bondages are broken. In the name of Jesus, victory is coming your way. Hallelujah. God bless you, son. Hallelujah. Let, let me run over here to this other side, okay? Because the anointing is about to flow in lives. Oh, man, I'm sorry, but I, I, I just got to say it. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, right now, your anointing will flow right now to every life. Hallelujah. Son, God's in control. Hallelujah. Right now, just got to believe the Lord. You're going to change things in my life. No matter what I am facing, I am captivated by hope today. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering today. Hallelujah. 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 
Okay, raise your hand. I want to give you a pastoral blessing right now. Hallelujah. And now may the face of the Almighty shine upon you. May God have mercy upon your life. May he bless you beyond your expectations. I pray that the favor of God would go before you and would open doors that no man can close. I pray that God would open a way even in your deserts. I pray that God would fill your hearts and your lives and your homes with love and laughter, will fill your spirit with joy, will give you favor wherever you go. I pray that people that even don't even know God will see God upon you. I pray this in the powerful name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and Cathedral of Faith said,